Welcome to episode 52 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the Liquor Store of Jackson Hole, supporting the community of Jackson Hole and the surrounding valley for over 35 years. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host of the Jackson Hole Connection. I believe if you desire truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection Podcast. My guest today is Aaron Feinberg, a master communicator, thought leader, conflict resolution mediator, and former self-ascribed ski bum. I recently worked with Aaron at a weekend retreat when he helped me and others create our personal story. Such a task sounds a little wonky to many, but after going through Aaron's process, I assure you, I took away several skills that have helped me in public speaking. Aaron has a strong background in helping companies and individuals build leadership and communication skills. Today, Aaron will share with us his thoughts and tools to be better communicators. I believe in the important work Aaron is doing, and I know if you're open to being coached, you'll be able to take away a few gold nuggets of information from Aaron as well. Aaron. Thank you for accepting my invitation to the Jackson Hole Connection. I was really pumped when I got the big yes and saw the calendar invite acceptance. So wonderful to have you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you very much for inviting me and letting me have a first experience as a guest on a podcast. Hey, we got to do a first uh, sometime. (laughs) There's a first of everything, just about everything at some point. That is correct, sir. So you do have an interesting connection to Jackson Hole. Tell me what your history and connection is. For sure. So like a lot of folk who went to the University of Vermont, I, after college, wound up here in, uh, in the fall of 98. And I had worked in the ski industry in, in Vermont, a couple different levels at ski shops. And I did some work with Dina Star and Lang and Technica and Vocal. And that really just wanted to come and experience skiing in Jackson and, and purposely lived the ski bum life for a couple of years. And my very first job was setting up the breakfast buffet at Rafferty's restaurant at Snow King. And I, uh, I worked a deal with them that I would set the breakfast up for the first few months, but by winter time, I wanted to be working nights. So they agreed. And uh, over the first couple of winters, I worked at a couple of restaurants. I worked for the ski resort. And, uh, and then I started to expand and, and do some volunteer work did a little bit of driving the ambulance at the hospital, started to take the wilderness first responder courses and the avalanche courses and, and uh, sort of grow that, that side of me as an adventurous person. In terms of uh, taking the traditional ski bum lifestyle and then setting something up where I could work spring, summer, and fall, that car wash business really, really fit the bill. So we were pretty busy for a number of years and I had a couple of friends, great friends working with me and uh, it was super successful. And then I, I just decided that I might want to do something slightly different. You know, I didn't have a great love of cars nor cleaning them, but I really did love business and helping people and being of service and uh, ultimately decided to take a quick stint or what I thought was going to be a quick stint in living in a city for the first time. And so I wound up moving to, 
San Francisco where my brother and sister were, which was only supposed to be for six months. And uh, seven, 17 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> but my connection to Jackson has never waned. And uh, there's been more than a few times where I've almost moved back. Uh, I did almost take a, uh, a school psychologist position in the middle school, uh, which is what I wound up doing here in, in California. And, uh, and then I decided... Uh, to shift gears after after a bunch of years working as a psychologist in, in public schools in, in Silicon Valley and and thought, well, I'm going to get into this executive coaching leadership training space and maybe that's a way to to get back to Jackson, thinking that maybe there'd be a need to to sort of bring this work to, to Jackson. And that's kind of what had happened. And so over the last five years or so, I've I've come back every few months and worked with a variety of groups like the community foundation and the, and the ski area and uh, the startup intensive and a number of other folks are so being able to, to teach communication and management skills and leadership, et cetera, to all those different populations has been amazing. And uh, it's kept me coming back. That's fantastic. Usually you hear how people said, I was only going to come to Jackson for six months. And next thing you know, it's 16 years. Or for me, it's been 20 years. <laughs> it, it honestly was going to be that situation for me. And parts of me realized, gosh, I, I wish I'd never left because I would have had a sweet, sweet business going. And, and, uh, and Jackson was still has been where most of my best friends live and, and the community where I just think, you know, is rooted in all of the best things that I, that I believe in between, you know, nature and taking care of each other and, and, uh, adventure, et cetera. So we'll see, who knows, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make it back full time soon enough. <laughs> well, we'll be here. Um, <laughs> so when you left being the a school psychologist in Silicon Valley and started your own business, was that the business that you have now, Aaron Feinberg Consulting? It is. It had a it had a different name to start. I rebranded. Originally, it was called Social Solutions Consulting, and after a few years and and a few recommendations from folks who were far more educated on branding and advertising, they said, you know, you really are the product. You should probably make it easy for people to find you. And so, with a little bit of resistance of, of not wanting to be particularly sort of self-aggrandizing, I, I did finally listen to them. And, uh, but yes, that's the, that's the, the work I started and uh, immediately got into doing one-on-one -on -one coaching at, at Google, at Yahoo, at Lyft, at Dropbox, and um, a bunch of other companies. And then that morphed into doing trainings as well. And I did have some help along the way. I did partner with a few great firms that already had existing relationships. And I thought, I did that on purpose. I thought there's no way I'm going to get to where I want to get to fast enough on my own. So let me find some, some great strategic partners and, and I'll benefit them. They'll benefit me. And then over the last six years, most of my work now comes directly through me and, and some of those partnerships have kind of faded. So you bring up something quite interesting that I want to touch on. You started off with your business as a typical business name. But when you are advised that the product is you, to take ownership and accept that, that changing your business name to Aaron Feinberg Consulting was not self-aggrandizing, um, what was that process like to figure that out? <laughs> Probably the, the biggest amount of effort, not necessarily that exact thing, but everything that goes along with that, um, figuring out what it is that I 
that really made me me, what it was that really that people resonated with. And as someone who's always been just really service oriented and, and, you know, the themes across all my work over life has just been about being helpful and being, you know, you know, supportive to folks and to have to flip that and to look at myself and try to describe, you know, why someone should work with me. It didn't feel like something I really wanted to do, but I can tell you that digging deep and and working with some great branding folk. And I worked with Alex Hillinger, who's based out of Jackson. And then I worked with uh, a woman here in San Francisco and sort of their process of inquiry and, and asking me to go through a number of different tasks and check in with people and really do the the digging in got me clearer about not only who I was and why I was valuable to folks, but also then what the brand should look like and, and the offerings that I should really be pursuing and the, maybe the things I should let go of. And so that was really fascinating for, for me because I don't have a background in, in marketing or advertising or graphic design or, or logo design. And so to watch how all of this morphed and realizing, wow, this is really cool and seamless. And then, it did impact the business. I started to, to represent and sell myself differently, more precisely. And also work started coming from new angles and, uh, and places that definitely fit with, with who I was and the kind of values I hold. To take that a little bit further, it, it's not that it's ego driven because you're all about promoting yourself. It's, it's about getting to the truth of what the product is that you're selling. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. I 100%. And what's interesting is I don't necessarily agree that I'm necessarily the product, but but what I my secret sauce and how I help and teach and and help people see their growth points and and demonstrate belief in them maybe before they're ready to believe in them and all of that and all of the sort of expertise from psychology or from small business or from the outdoor recreation field that I've been able to put together that makes me a unique coach, you know, that's, that's what had to come out in sort of the branding and, uh, and for me to get really clear on. I like what you said. You believe in your clients before they're willing to believe in themselves. Yeah. I've always had this, you know, and I don't know if this is a unique thought for me, but I've always had this strong belief that, you know, we as people just, we don't have a top end. We're, we, our ability to evolve is, is limitless. And, and I just think that a lot of the work I did with, with the kids in the public schools really honed that. I would have a lot of tough, tough characters. I had, you know, folks who were Nortenio Serenio gang members. I had folks who were severely on the autism spectrum. I had emotionally disturbed kids. I had, you know, every flavor and and then their parents and then the communities. And so, what I found was, you know, first believing in those people, you can get a lot of change happening when people feel like someone believes in them. And then if you actually are going to spend the time and you're going to, and you have something to offer and some expertise and you can kind of meet them where they're at and then help to guide them or to help them guide themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the main values I've always kind of pulled through all the, all the work I do. I love it. Um, I, I love it. And, I worked with you recently over the past month and you really help people dive into uh, figuring out who they are and being able to, to share that information. And it's extremely eye opening to be able to talk about yourself in a way that um, isn't 
bragging or making you feel higher or greater than anyone else. It's just saying the truth and being comfortable with it. And I think that part about the truth is really critical. It's people play small more than they really think they are. And I think helping folks to to step into that biggest self, to, to speak their truth, to make it persuasive is so powerful when, when we watch someone do that. And I, I honestly feel like most of the time the audience doesn't even think that there's boasting or bragging. They're just so impressed with, you know, someone's willingness to, to go there, to be vulnerable, to, to take a stand, to demonstrate, to have a voice. And I think that that's what really, you know, connects people, creates, you know, persuasion, influence. And, and ultimately when everyone's talking at that level, you just, you get a lot more done and you resolve a lot more too. Indeed. Is there a connection between allowing yourself to be vulnerable and speaking the truth? I think you can't speak the truth if you're not willing to be vulnerable and intimate. You know, there's actually a little bit of research associated with this. There's a great concept called the trust equation, which is, you know, some work where some researchers basically determined that trust really does equal credibility plus reliability plus intimacy all over what they call self-orientation. And that intimacy part is really what vulnerability is. It's about being willing to show of yourself at a level that's not just content, data, numbers, dryness, but, but at the emotional level, at the values level, at the, at the real deep interpersonal. And it's not that you have to be, you know, emotionally exploding all over people, but it's that you got to be willing to, to go to what really matters. And then more importantly, also to listen to what really matters to people. And when you do that, along with being really low on your self-orientation, meaning you're very much about others, uh, then you really build trust very, very quickly. So yeah, it's a critical piece. Mm -hmm. Trust and truth are very, are very interconnected. And, and on your website, you talk about building trust, social fluency, and then self-awareness. Help me understand what social fluency is. Sure. So it's this concept of being both easeful and adaptable in social situations. So obviously, whenever you're interacting with one person or, or, or many, there's no real recipe or predictability to what people are going to do. And so the ability to be flexible, adaptable is, is really critical. And to do that all from a place of ease and, and relaxedness and comfort is, is the other half of it. So there's all sorts of skills that can fall under emotional intelligence and also skills that come under communication where, that can help folks to either know why they are so fluid and to replicate that or to build skills in areas that they're weak. So whether that is internal mindset that trips people up when they're engaging or whether that's a, a lack of self-awareness and they don't realize how they're contributing to the connection not being there could be basic communication skills on how you listen or how you, how you speak in a way that really keeps things moving. So there's a whole there's a whole suite of skills and a lot of them are very intertwined, but when you do it well, or when you're interacting with someone who's doing it well, it makes 
it makes those interactions very dynamic, very, very open, very flexible. And I think also takes a lot of the stress away when either it's not started off really well, or it seems like it's winding down. And sometimes we don't know how to get into a conversation or we don't know how to get out of one when it's not going well. So it's like, you know, wherever you are in that interaction, there's a, an ability to, to maintain real fluency and fluidity and there are skills that you can learn or to hone to really make that happen. I know personally, I have trouble sometimes getting into conversations and even getting out, even if it's the conversation's going fine, is it time to get out of the conversation or do we continue it to go? I'm, I'm there with a lot of your, your folks that lean into your message. <laughs> and there's one other thing that just came up for me too, and it's this whole concept of assertiveness. And this really does overlay a lot of what we're talking about. And a lot of us are confused about what assertiveness actually is. And it's really critical if you're trying to figure out, should I enter this conversation? And if so, am I being assertive or am I being aggressive? Or should I stand back and, and, and does that make me passive? And should I really be, you know, trying to, trying to get more involved or am I just willing to be passive? And the same for, for exiting conversations and to do it in a graceful way and, and to realize that, you know, what you truly are responsible for as an assertive person versus what other people are responsible for. Um, so I think we, there's a lot of work a lot of us could do to get more clear and that would shift our behaviors and would help with all these things being more fluid. Could you define the difference between being assertive and aggressive? Because I think in some conversations that I've had, they've probably been synonymous, which it sounds as though they definitely are not. Sure. And it makes sense because of the way that we're raised. So the definition I use for assertiveness is being responsible for your thoughts your feelings and your actions, and also allowing other people to be responsible for theirs. So as an assertive person, it's really important that you expect that other people are also going to be assertive. And that frees you from having to be responsible because we're taught in this culture that we're responsible for everybody's feelings, right? And then it's not so that you get to be a jerk, but it's like, if I say my truth, Right? If I speak my truth from a very good place with good intention and with communication that is, that is you know, as kind as it can be, and you on the receiving end choose to get very upset by that for whatever reason, as an assertive person, I don't have to be responsible for that. I don't get to offend you or to call you out or to criticize you. I can allow you to feel whatever you're going to feel, right? Whereas an aggressive person is going to get their way or act in such a way that they are dominant. They are the loudest voice. They may, you know, choose to be intimidating on purpose. They may choose to take more than their fair share. And that's also something that we're taught, right, in this culture is, is go get what's yours, you know, fight to the death for what you think is yours. And, and again, there's some value in some of those behaviors, but I think we, we overuse them. We don't realize what else we could be doing. And sometimes we don't realize the impact of being aggressive or even passive or passive aggressive has on, on the world. Mm -hmm. I went to a, a retreat probably about 10, 12 years ago and learned about being assertive and what you exactly just said that, if somebody gets angry based upon what you said, if you're truthful and polite about it, then it's their choice. And, and that helped me a lot get into conversations that are not fun conversations to get into. It's hard because when we start being assertive, 
people are used to us behaving in, in, in the ways in which they're always used to us behaving. And so when we start to do different things, we often get a lot of pushback because, you know, as humans, we like things to be consistent in patterns. And, and so the world will push on you to go back to being whatever it was that they're familiar with. So the, the key with assertiveness is to really be committed to it and expect that you're going to get some, some pushback and you got to ride through that wave. Just like, you know, if you cave with your puppy or you, or you don't hold good boundaries with your kids, you know, you're in for, for 10 X the problems next time. Oh yeah. I know that one for sure <laughs> with the kids, with the new puppy. Then you also mentioned on your website, self awareness. What is your definition of self awareness? And is there an exercise somebody can do to help them bring self-awareness to themselves? Sure. So self-awareness is the first part of emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence has four pieces and self-awareness is the first one. Then it moves down into self-management and then it moves over to social awareness and, and then relationship management. So you can't do any type of relationship management effectively if you aren't first self-aware. So that's where it all starts. So, the sort of definition is to be aware of your emotions, your reactions, your behaviors, your triggers, your desires, etc. at such a level in which you, you can then free yourself to do the next step, which is to manage yourself effectively. So that might be being aware enough to know what bothers you so that you can sidestep those environments or to know I got to put in a strategy in place before I go and have this conversation so that I can manage that conversation better. So you can't really manage yourself and you surely can't manage others if you're not first aware of yourself. And some things that you folks can do, everything from record yourself. So whether it's your audio recordings or capture yourself on video in all sorts of different scenes and, and parts of your day, you can go and ask for feedback. So go and interview or, or probe with folks in your life on your work side, on your personal side, and find out what do folks think about you? Where, what, what do they resonate with? What do they struggle with? Uh, where do they find you enjoyable? Where are you a pain? Uh, and there's, there's tools I use in the, in the business coaching that help with this. So things like 360 degree assessments, or I will do confidential interviews or observations of people and, and then generate, you know, the data to kind of show them what folks around them are, are seeing. So that's another more formalized way to do it. When I think of record myself, I'm like, whoa, shock, stress. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that has to happen, especially to get that feedback. Honest feedback is what you're looking for. Exactly. So nobody loves to see themselves on camera, but it is such a great way to close what I call the audience self disconnect. So the way that you think you're showing up versus how everybody's seeing you. And I think that part that you just mentioned about getting real honest feedback and a lot of us give feedback that is fairly complimentary and maybe pretty vague. And that is not a gift to the other person. And while maybe temporarily feels okay, most of us want to know how we can be better. And so constructive or critical feedback given in a very good way, you know, with good intention and, and delicately delivered is really what people want. And so I would always encourage my clients to, to find people in their world that are really going to be willing to go there. 
right? And trust those people and, and, and respect them and, and thank them for what they have given you. And then most importantly, go do something about it, right? That's the best way you can respect someone's feedback is to take it in stride. And if it's something that you're compelled to work on, go do it and also let them know what you're working on. Yeah. And uh, talk about coming over some barriers, personal barriers. I got to get, I've, I've had to get used to listening to myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard right we have a internal dialogue or or perception of ourselves that is really really perfect and then all of a sudden you hear you hear yourself or someone starts poking and prodding and it can be it can really throw you because you're you look back and you think gosh how long have i been doing this for why has nobody ever told me or am i you know it can bring up everything from imposter syndrome to just just being really hypercritical of yourself. So all I would say is uh, nobody likes it and it's a great teacher and anybody who's starting to look at themselves with a little more clarity is going to, uh, is going to see things they don't like, but that's the, that's the sweet spot for growth. I appreciate you saying nobody likes it because I tell you what, for me, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it real when you say that, when you say nobody likes it, it's, it's, it's real. It's whether or not we're willing to, as you, you know, going back to what you said, are we willing to allow ourselves to be vulnerable so we can really get down to the truth? Yeah. Can I share a, a quick, funny story of, of my own personal experience with that? Yeah, please. So when I was working as a psychologist, I did do a lot of group trainings. I would go out and I would train school districts on, on school safety issues. So how to prevent and then respond to things like school shootings and, and earthquakes, et cetera. And I always got a lot of good feedback as a, as a trainer and as a presenter. And when I started to do this work at the corporate level, particularly when I, when I was being asked to go teach presentation skills, I got a big fat no, you're not ready. <laughs> and, uh, and I got told I needed to go and learn all this curriculum and, and demonstrate these skills at, at a whole new level before they would cut me loose. And I really struggled to to try to figure out how to do this the right way. And it brought up all sorts of stuff for me. And what I realized is that in the school system environment, I never got, I got feedback from people who didn't really know what a good presenter looked like. And so I reinforced my, my belief in myself that I was really awesome and then got told that, nope, you're not. And so I, you know, I put my head down and I spent three or four months really, really up in my game. And it was not easy. It was, it was hard. I put myself on camera. I, I walked through Golden Gate Park reciting, you know, presentation skills, briefs and modeling all the behaviors. And I can tell you it was, it was harder than I ever imagined. And then I came out on the other side. And now I truly do feel like when I'm in front of a group, I have that ease, right? I have that ability to really model what I'm trying to teach them. And that was the biggest thing is the company I was working for said, we can't have you teaching this stuff if you can't do it. And, and so there was that point of which I thought I was doing it. Then I was pissed that I wasn't doing it. Then I wasn't sure if I could do it. And I felt bad about myself. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to make this happen and, and eventually come out on the other side. But it is a, it is a grimy, gritty process. <laughs> How great that somebody was truthful with you and you were open enough to accept their brutal honesty about your presentation skills. And hey, yeah, okay, I can take that and I'm going to go figure it out and learn it. Good for you. And it's, inf it's really informed how I coach folks now, too, because as a service-centered you know, guy and a, and, a, and a caregiver and a heart-centered guy, 
I indexed pretty heavy on the on the caretaking side of coaching, but where I've shifted is is definitely being more able to give that direct, quick, hard, but not unkind feedback. And that was something that I learned through these experiences is that it's a gift and to, you don't have to soften it. You don't have to sandwich it between two compliments. You just got to deliver it with the right intention. Deliver with the right intention. Well said. Thank you. Aaron, we're going to take a quick break from one of our sponsors and then we'll be right back to talk more. Have you ever wondered how to make one of those cool cocktails you enjoyed at your favorite restaurant? Ever look at a wall of wine and wonder, why does all of this exist? Did you know beer and food can complement each other? Well, all of these answers and more can be discovered at the Liquor Store of Jackson Hole. The knowledgeable and friendly staff love making your experience one to remember. Please stop in to say hello to the fun and friendly staff and discover something new to make your taste buds dance. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS for more details. Aaron, I've loved our conversation and it's very insightful hearing if there's something that resonates with what you're saying. It's about being vulnerable, being truthful and understanding about yourself. And I, I know that when I worked with you about a month ago at, through the Lions Pride, that was what you continued challenging us with. In the pre-show, you mentioned that your business has three different arms. For people that are joining us today and listening in, what are those three arms of Aaron Feinberg Consulting? They are the executive coaching side of things, which is, is not just for executives. While I do work with folks at the C-suite and at the senior VP level, I also have director, senior director, manager, and even some folks who are pretty new in their careers. And I like to keep a, a pretty wide range because folks across companies and levels are really interesting to me. So often that work is with folks for six months where I'm seeing them every other week. We're building out a development plan for them and we might do some different assessments or 360s to help them see themselves. And then we're coaching to the goals that they, that we help co-create. And I will say that this is all very positive. So companies invest in these folks because they're the top talent. So this is not something that you get when you're about to be fired. This is something you get when you're recognized as really valuable and they want to grow you. And then the second arm is the, is the group training or, or leadership training programs that are run. So those could be two hour modules, a half day experience, a full day, or even a multi-day event where we are taking either content I already have, or we're customizing with some new content, and we're creating professional development experiences at the company where they may be training eight people or they may be training 150, and we're teaching them everything from leadership skills, management skills, some of the presentation or communication things we've spoken about, EQ, whatever the, the set of competencies that they want these folks to learn, and we're doing it in such a way where it's really tied with adult learning theory, meaning folks are not being lectured at or dying through long PowerPoints. It's quick bits of information. They're up and practicing. They're getting video. They're getting feedback. So it's really fun. And that's the second arm. And then the third arm is where what I call the adventure retreats or the combination of some of these professional development activities with something outside. So it could be a hike in the Tetons. It could be surfing in Northern California 
And so what we're doing is we're teaching some of the core skills and then putting folks in an environment where they're able to practice these skills in a new way or where the environment elicits some of the things they need to practice. So, you know, folks are learning EQ. Now they're in an environment where they've got to manage themselves differently or they've got to socially interact a new way or they've got to manage a conflict. And so uh, it's a really great way to combine my, my love of the outdoors and of, of physical activity, but with, with learning and, and growing, growing leaders. I, I like the adventure side of things. <laughs> and, and, and you're not, is this all about putting people in circles and having them catch somebody off of a table or, yeah, this is not the trust falls or the ropes course experience. This is, um, you know, there's, it's not the kumbaya around the, around the, the campfire. It's really, you know, customizing. So if I know I have a group of folks who really love skiing, well, we're going to get a cabin in Tahoe. We're going to figure out what skills are going to benefit them as a group. And then we'll go back into skiing, right. Or we'll, you know, find a group down and, Malibu, who's fascinated with surfing, and we'll we'll do some things, you know, around, you know, vision, values, and and kind of life purpose, and then we'll get folks together and surf. And it won't just be a separate activity that's just fun. We'll weave in some of the learnings, some of the breaks. will involve debriefs or discussions, so that the stuff that they learn doesn't just disappear. It becomes anchored. And you know, what all of us who are outdoors folks find is that. When our, we're outdoors doing something, especially in an exciting environment, it, it really puts our heads and our hearts in different places. And that's in exactly the place where we're going to learn new things and we might really, they may really encode and sink into us. So true. I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. I feel that when I get out hiking and I don't need to listen to music, it's just being out there and allowing my mind to, to process information and reflect on what's happening in in my daily life is is so it's just medicine for me that's that's my church right there and i'll tell you it it's that way for most of us and i will the first time i really realized this was when i was working with some children who were in a school that was really geared for emotionally disturbed folks and i was doing group therapy with a bunch of kids that really didn't like each other and I had the flexibility to create whatever program I wanted. And we put together a, a therapeutic bike class where I got a bunch of bikes donated from the shop in all levels of disrepair. These kids did never had really ridden or worked on a bike and we got the tools donated and some of the bikes became art projects that we painted others. We repaired and then I taught them to ride. And then at the end of the End of the experience, they all went to a place in Marin and they learned, they went mountain biking for the first time. And nice. what was great about this experience was that through the process of doing something together, physical, and that took them out of their normal headspace, which would have been, I don't like this person, I'm going to cause trouble with them. It really got them to be open to some therapeutic things that I was doing with them around communicating, perspective taking. Um, conflict resolution, forgiveness, and it wasn't as intense because they could be side-by-side wrenching on a bike or they could be, you know, riding and then we'd stop and talk and there, it wasn't that level of I'm right across from you, let's just have a conversation that they weren't ready for. So I learned in that moment that 
when you get people into these different places and moving, it's really hard to stay stressed and locked down or have your thoughts remain the same when, when you're literally moving and shaking like that. Wow. You've made some phenomenal impact on some lives. You've really touched some, some lives out there. Congrat- uh, thank you for doing what you do and having this perspective that we can all get along and uh, make each other's lives better. Well, I mean, I can only thank the folks that let me in, you know, that, that trusted me enough to, to take a chance. And so, you know, I always just look at myself as a conduit and as the, um, as the co-partner, right? So, so people only change when they choose to and, and when you can provide the conditions for them to feel comfortable and the skills that they need to make those changes. Because, you know, I truly believe nobody, nobody wakes up and decides they're going to ruin their life that particular day. When they do, it, it tends to be they're missing some skills. And if you can, and if you can figure out what that skill is, you can, you can solve a lot of problems with them. Well, you're very insightful and intuitive with working with people. And I know those are skills that I can certainly improve on and, and uh, strengthen for sure. Aaron, I've loved the time that we have had together. And I know that you have to go pick up your little one in just a little bit. So before we sign off, if people wanted to connect with you and learn more about Aaron Feinberg and Ann Feinberg uh, Consulting, What's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Well, I'll give you a couple different channels. I am not particular on how anyone finds me. I'm a little old school, so the phone is, uh, the phone is great, and um, I can happily share my number. But the website is, is pretty simple, and it's just AaronFeinberg.com, and there's a way to email me from the site. And um, my email is, is just af at AaronFeinberg.com. And uh, would, would I share my phone number now or is that something that they'll, that they'll be able to see um, in some other format? Let's have folks go to your website and connect to okay. you through there. Um, we don't want to put a phone number out there in the <laughs> world. <laughs> I know I get I you, calls all the time. <laughs> I told you I'm old school. It's funny to me. I, I am still that guy that I'm the the only person that calls most people in my life versus texting. So I, uh, I will go with the email or the website and uh, those are great ways to find me. Hey brother, I'm with you about calling, but I can, I think I've been contacted by some company because the IRS is after me twice this week and the student loans I'm in default of that I never had. Um, I've received a few calls of that this week. So uh, yeah, I, I'm a little protective of my phone number nowadays and others. Perfect. <laughs> Better safe than sorry. That's right. Aaron, any last words, little pearls of wisdom that you want to share with us before we sign off today? I would just tell folks, particularly on the social fluency side and the, and the speaking your truth is there's no replacement for just repetition. So get out there, interact flop, fail, embarrass yourself. Uh, assertiveness is an amazing thing when you, when you really don't allow anybody to, to make you feel anything. It's really hard for you to feel bad about anything you try. So I would just say the more, the more reps, the more fluid, the more automatic, and, uh, and, and just bring your biggest self and watch what happens. Well said. And, and I like that. The more reps, the more fluid. Right on. 
Aaron, this has been spectacular. I can't wait to see you again when you're back here in the Valley. Uh, let's get some coffee or burger, whatever you want to do, if you have time for it. And um, enjoy the Bay Area today. I bet it's beautiful there. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to catching up soon. You bet. Have a great day. Take care. To learn more about Aaron, his business, please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 52. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions, send an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please remember when you're in Jackson Hole to be sure to visit my friends at the liquor store of Jackson Hole. I could not create this podcast without the support of my wife, my editor, Michael Morey, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.